We're going to do something a little different this morning, and it had to do with part of my prayer request, and that sometimes we can read a scripture and just sort of glaze over it and not really um, meditate upon it and actually think, is that really going to happen? And so I did a little exploring yesterday because I wanted to come up with a visual of when the Lord says, well, let's read our context and then we'll come back and I'll comment on it. Our text, John 14, first three verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let me just comment this time by saying that when Jesus said this, the new Jerusalem was not yet created. He's going to prepare a place for you. Now, before this happens and we enter into eternity, um, what part of the video that I'm going to show you uh, deals with the millennial reign, specifically at the end of the millennial reign, when Jesus returns and he casts the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And it actually shows that happening. Then, after that, and Satan is finally cast in after the thousand years, then what happens is it says the sea and hell gave up the dead. Well, Mary was commenting on when we were watching this, uh, it's an eight-minute clip, that whoever put this thing together spent an awful lot of time and an awful lot of work uh, doing it. I'm playing it because it gives you, hopefully, an, an impact that you may not have had before, actually with a motive of like the rich man who the enormity of him being in hell and being able to do nothing about it, he still had recollection of family that was still alive. And again, one of the reasons I'm showing this is the reality of what happens if your name isn't in the book of life. They'll show the book of life and anybody not found put in the uh, uh, was written in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire. He actually shows that happening. So it is meant to shock you. It is meant to inform you. Um, but the bottom line is, is simply what the word of God has to say. Good place for an amen. And nothing's going to change this from happening. And as the church drifts farther and farther away from this reality, sort of the... Um, um, urgency probably is a word as we see things happening so quickly. Uh, hopefully it'll put an urgency and an understanding um, that I'm going to be a fool for Christ here on out <laughs> and I'm not going to care what people say or think or whatever. And hopefully this will stir, stir us up just a little bit. So it's, it's uh, eight minutes. It's something I don't do very often. But it also goes on and then shows you uh, the New Jerusalem. For the last 2,000 years, the Lord has been pre preparing a place for you. With that being said,
Let's go back to the Gospel of John as we continue to teach through the scriptures and read our text again. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What will our eternal home be like? And as um, we'll see this morning, there will be a total absence of any sin or temptation or testing in the New Jerusalem. This in itself makes a radical difference. Just in Ben's prayer yesterday, um, it's a great bunch of guys we get together. And we're, the guys are very open and transparent. And some of them are saying, you know, just some of the stupid stuff that comes to my head. Where does it, where did that come from? And um, dealing with it and, and trying to figure out, was it me thinking it? Was it the Lord talking to me or was it the enemy? And, um, but all of that will be gone. No more testing. Uh, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven does not mean another satellite for the earth, but rather... The earth and all of the new creation with all of the galactic system will revolve around the new Jerusalem. In other words, it becomes the center of God's universe because it is a dwelling place of God and of Christ. This is going to be one study where uh, those who have a problem with the Trinity were clearly as we're talking about God the Father and God the Son together. Um, the law of gravity as we know it will be radically revised. There will be traffic between the new Jerusalem and the earth. The church will have already left the earth and its dwelling place is in the new Jerusalem. I believe that we'll have entirely different bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 makes it perfectly clear. And the law of gravity will not affect us any more than it did Jesus walking into the room and just walking right through the wall. And yet being able to eat at the same time. Um, The church will have already left the earth and its dwelling place is the new Jerusalem. That's our text this morning. And I believe that we will have an entirely different bodies and the law of gravity will have no effect on us and on this earth or any other planet. There will be no sun uh, to give light, for God himself will supply it directly to the universe. Uh, There will be the absence uh, thereof of no night. Uh, No night there because we just don't need that time to rest, sleep, and have new bodies. Uh, There will be no longer any sea, we're told, on the earth, The sea occupies most of the earth's surface, about three-fourths of the total uh, surface is water. Uh, This denotes a revolution in life upon the earth. Um, We won't be fishing, guys. (laughs) And there will be no fish um, to eat. Apparently, there will be sort of a vegetarian diet during the millennium and throughout eternity, 
as he was, as it was in the Garden of Eden. Fruit is the only diet for eternal men. So it doesn't mean we won't be eating. The presence of Christ and God together with the throne of God will be made visible, ushering in a new day for man throughout all eternity. So I sort of see planet Earth as a, a, a 7,000 year process because it's the number of completion. Created the Earth in um, uh, six days, rested on the seventh. Man has been upon this Earth roughly 6,000 years. Um, we find that the millennium is a thousand year period of time. And during that period of time, one thing we've had in common from Genesis when Eve made a decision, a free will decision on her own, um, all the way till the time um, you saw the blowtorch taking out all those people that were coming against Jerusalem. Well, they were exercising their free will in a perfect environment. And so, again, I could get really sidetracked telling you my problems with psychology today and um, um, saying it's really not your fault, it's not your problem. You're this way because of this, this society you grew up in, or maybe it was your dad's fault or your mom's fault. Well, here you are living a thousand years with a perfect ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, still exercising your free will. Population boom for a thousand years, but they will have free will too. And it says Satan will be released, and after this thousand years of living in this Utopia, they still choose of their own free will to come against um, the Lord. And so the Lord takes care of that in short business. That's the end of 6,000 years. And so uh, that's the end of, I should say, 7,000 years. So my wife and I always get a kick when we're watching a National Geographic program, when we watch one on the Grand Canyon and a species of life that live there. And now this, this one here is different from, because this one's only 10 billion years old, and this one is only 2 billion years old. And we always break out laughing with the, um, when, <laughs> I, I think of the scripture professing themselves wise, they became fools. So this morning, as we look at several different aspects of the New Jerusalem, what the Old Testament, I broke it up into four sections. What the Old Testament speaks of it, primarily the throne room from Ezekiel. What the New Testament speaks about it, Paul was actually there. And what will be our roles in the New Jerusalem and our eternal rewards? In the clip, it actually, and I'll quote the scripture later, Revelation 22, verse 12 and it says, in, this is in the New Jerusalem, and then the Lord will give them their rewards. And what the idea there is, what we do here has everything to do in what we have in responsibility and rewards there. So with that being said, let's go back to the book of Ezekiel and get an Old Testament perspective of... Um, Ezekiel chapter one is actually his calling. And in his calling, I'll read through this rather quickly, we're, we're focused on the throne room. 
It is very similar, and I might turn there also to Revelation chapter four. Um, the thing that would be different from Ezekiel's perspective is that the church would not have been there during this time. Let's pick it up at verse four. And this is the throne room. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north and a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself and brightness was all around and radiating out of it was the midst of the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also within it came the likeness of four living creatures. There was one that had the appearance like the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, each one had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. They had the hands of man under their wings on their four sides and each four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went but each went straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man, each of the four had the face of a lion. On the right side, each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were the faces, their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of each, one touched the other, and two covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward, They went wherever the spirit wanted to go and they did not turn when they went. And as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like the burning coals of fire and like the appearance of of torches. And fire was going back and forth from among the living creatures. The fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Whoa. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their works was like the color of a barrel, and four had the same likeness. The appearance of their works was as it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they went, uh, they went toward anyone for directions. They did not turn when they went. And as for the worms that were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around, uh, four of them. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. And wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went because there the spirit went and the wheels were lifted together with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood still, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted together with them. For thus the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Now, the firmament. Now the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like a color of an awesome crystal. Now remember that because we'll be talking about that when we discuss the new Jerusalem. Stretched out over their heads. 
And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight one towards the other. Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the, the voice of the Almighty, automat, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And a voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Wherever they stood, they let down their wings. The appearance of the Lord in heaven. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like a sapphire stone. And the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man high above it. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And so when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Here's, there's other places I could refer to, but this is an Old Testament um, vision that was given to Ezekiel at the beginning of his ministry. The church would not have been in view here because the church had not yet come. I want to give you a perspective after the same vision, much shorter version, but this time with the church in attendance. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, you notice that if you have a red letter Bibles, chapter 2 and 1, 2, and 3 are, are in red. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter um, 4, and until you get to almost the end of the book of Revelation, it's all black letters. Why? Because now it's pertaining to God's clock starting again, and he's going to work with Israel. So we're entering into the tribulation period, but I believe that what we have here in verse uh, 4 is the taking away of the church into heaven. Because in chapter five, we see they're not only in heaven, but they're singing a song. So after these things, again, the Greek here is metatonta, after what things? After the church age. God owes Israel seven years. The book of Revelation just happens to be seven, from six to 19, seven uh, years long. John is writing, and he says, after these things I looked, and behold, the door opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately, I would say in a twinkling of an eye, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, 
clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. We believe these to be the representative of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. During the little video clip, when it's talked about the gates, that named the 12 um, tribes of Israel. And then for uh, the foundation, it named the 12 apostles. So connect the dots there because this reading it from this perspective, it is a one after the rapture of the church. So these thrones that were there, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. I'll come back to that. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were the four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. Uh, believing Now being seen just as Ezekiel saw it, but with, now with the church in mind. Uh, the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature was like a calf, and the third like a man, and the fourth like an eagle. Of course, Ezekiel gives us more details because each one of them had four faces. And that's um, what, they're, what they do is say, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And they're just forever in the presence of God and praising, praising him. All right, um, the, the only thing I want to point out is even before the, the seals are open is where the church is. And if you just look, um, we find in verse eight, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down, each having harps and bowls full of saints, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song that they hear are the Christians that have now been raptured and are taking to heaven. So we know the words of the song here. We don't have the melody down yet, but I promise you, you're gonna like it when you hear it. You have redeemed us. Well, who can be redeemed? Only lost sinners. You have redeemed us by God, by your blood from where? Every tribe, every tongue, and every people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to your God, and we will reign on the earth. Now, what we have in view here is responsibilities during the millennial reign. The millennial reign, and what we're going to be talking about this morning, eternity in heaven, are two different things with one thing in common. There are rewards that will be given. There will be responsibilities that we have. Here it says rule and reign. What does that entail? I don't know. (laughs) I do know that the Lord gave a parable about um, giving each people gifts and how they invested the gifts that God gave to them. Look, Lord, you gave me two. Here's five. He says, good, be over five cities. Here, Lord, you gave me two, and my, my two turned out ten. And he goes, good for you. And uh, make him ruler over ten cities. And the one who did nothing wasn't really saved in the first place. He said, uh, um, I don't really have anything to show for it. And he says, then give it to the guy who has the ten. And um, cast the other one into outer darkness. So here... 
again, is a, a New Testament versus Old Testament of just the throne, the throne room. So let's, you don't have to turn here. Well, go ahead. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul was taken to heaven, the third heaven. We're only going to look at four verses here. I think last week we made the point that um, there was a real demon that was involved in buffeting Paul. And Paul wanted to sing God. And the reason for the thorn in the flesh was because of what we're about to read. So in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Let me come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I don't know. Or whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So he was in, um, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Paul was taken to this uh, heaven that exists today, which would have been um, um, where the throne room would have been. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. And I've always stumbled on this first. You go to heaven and you got a chance to look at it and see it, and all you want to talk about is um, the, the words that were said or maybe the sounds or the music. I personally think there's going to be music going on all the time, and it's just going to be a part of a perfect uh, creation. And so remember, as we get into our study this morning, if you look at your bulletin, as much as we're going to try to explain it and read it, it says, just take your bulletin out, I has not seen, nor ear heard, and what has ever come into a man's heart, and what God has prepared for those who love him, 1 Corinthians 2.9. So as best as we can do through video, through teaching verse by verse, by trying to putting it in order, let me just say right out front, there's no way we can describe it. It's the Lord saying, my ways are so far beyond finding out. You'll never figure it out. And Paul says, there's no way I'm even gonna try to tell you what this sounded like up there. It's, it's not humanly possible. And um, I only, this comes to mind, it's not my notes, but that, that baby in the womb for nine months, what does it know? Not a whole lot. He hears mumbling from time to time in the distance. And um, does a lot of kicking and, and moving around. He's confined to a very small little pocket of water that he exists in until the day that he's slapped in the butt and they cut his cord. And all of a sudden, for the first time, his eyes are opened. And for the first time, he sees a whole new world. He sees his mother's face. He sees his father's face. How different from what he had been experiencing up to that time. I believe if we could try to put it in some sort of terms, that's what it's like. Something beyond any, any description 
that any human man can have. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, another New Testament perspective on um, Old Testament saints when they died. And this indeed within itself is a study by itself. We're only going to read a couple of verses, 13 through 16. Um, verse 13 of chapter 11. These are the Old Testament saints that would have been in Abraham's bosom. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having received them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And again, an exhortation here. This is all gonna be gone someday. And um, um, to invest in it more than what you need to. And let me clarify myself there too. I'm not talking about kicking back and hoping we get a socialist president so everything can be given to us. (laughs) Paul says if you don't work, you don't eat. It's that simple. You do need to have a job. So don't misunderstand here, but make what you can, what you need, and um, don't make that the thing that you're prioritizing, but instead his kingdom. Um, Remember, we're just passing through, pilgrims and strangers. For those who say such things declare clearly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they came out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Notice, for he has prepared a city for them. I go to prepare a place for you. If you turn the page to chapter 12, verse 22, uh, that's what I was looking for. Verse 21 with Moses. I was just a page away. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 21. Moses' experience on the mountain of God. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling when he was in the presence on the holy mountain. Exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have now come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Well, we just learned something. You can't count them. There's so many angels in heaven that they were innumerable. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So here we're clearly told uh, that there will be a numerable amount of angels and in chapter 11, it clearly says that he's making for them, these Old Testament saints, a city. Now, we need to make a distinction here. Even though they will have access to their city, that is not their home. That's the church's home, and there's a distinction between the two. Let me read this. Our attention has already been directed to the fact that a redeemed remnant of Israel makes regular visits to the city of God. 
Another group is identified who comes into the city to bring their glory and honor. These are the redeemed Gentile nations which will occupy the earth together with Israel for eternity. These nations, like Israel, do not belong to the church, for they are redeemed after the church is removed from the earth or before the church came into existence. They come as visitors to the church. They come as worshipers. The city is what we would say sort of cosmopolitan in, in character because all nationalities will meet there and the created intelligence of God walks the streets of the New Jerusalem. Among the multitudes, there's not one who will bring defilement or sin. How superior is that to the, even the Garden of Eden when the lie of Satan made an entrance for sin. No lie, no liar will ever enter the portals of the heavenly Jerusalem. All dwellers and all tourists are not only redeemed from sin, but they've lost their taste for it. I'm waiting for that day to come. How about an amen there? Uh, They come through the gates, which are never closed. The enjoyment of this glorious city is not restricted to the church, although they are the only ones who dwell there. He was talking to his disciples. I go to prepare, present tense, a place for you that where I am, you're gonna be also. There's a difference because you are the bride of Christ. And rather than having others who have been simply redeemed. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three, Paul talks about uh, why we do what we do as far as the gifts that the Lord has given to us. And what are we building upon? What foundation? And it talks about rewards being given. Now, remember scripture here at this time. The Lord says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because um, your father who sees in heaven knows what your motive of your heart is. So do it in secret. If you do it before men, okay, you got your reward. But you do it and nobody knows about it. The Lord's keeping track and now we're talking about rewards. So picking it up in verse 11, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Nor is anyone built on this foundation, I'm sorry, now if anyone has built on this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. We have two things here. One are disposable and can be burned, the other cannot, can only be purified. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he receives a reward. Well, to me, that brings up more questions and answers. What do you mean, a reward? What's a reward? What does it look like? Do some have more than others? The answer to that is yes. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. That means that there will be a lot of Christians in heaven who make it, but they don't have nothing to show for it. 
but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. All right? Now, if you're taking notes, I could have you turn there, but it's just one verse. Um, Revelation 22, the very last book of the Bible, verse 12 says this, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give each one according to his works. Again, let me clarify something here. Um, We are saved by grace and not by works. Good place for an amen. All right, that's, that's one thing. We're talking salvation here. However, there are things that people do for the Lord. Uh, Paul says, the love of Christ, it constrains me to do what I want to do. I just love the Lord for what he's done for me. Lord, what, what can I do? So the investment of that person and what he does is the gold and silver and precious, precious metals. He's investing him, his life for things that are eternal rather than things that are temporal and finding that, um, that balance. But clearly, in the last book of the Bible, it says that he is gonna come and my reward is with me and it clearly says to give each one, in other words, individual gifts according to his work. So we're being um, judged, not about our salvation, I think our motive, what foundation are we building on? Um, I'm not going to call it the organization. It's a secular one. And we were on the news the other night, and I always get a big kick out of uh, them having a photo op after they do a a good work for the community because they come out with a check the size that's this tall and it's six feet long. (laughs) And it has just exactly how much was there. And I'm thinking to myself, well, they got their reward. <laughs> and everybody got, everybody got to see it. So let's, with that much of a background, let's actually go to Revelation 21, where the New Jerusalem is described for us. But again, remind you of the verse, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard. And I saw a new heaven. Now, after notice that this is right after anyone found, in verse 20, anyone found not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I really hope by you seeing this put visually, it had an impact on you, that this is really going to happen to people we care and love. Now that that is over, now we have the Lord starting from scratch. A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there was no more sea. So as we, we, we think on this, a new heaven and a new earth separate from um, the ones that exist today. So this new earth will have no water and um, um, I'm sure its capacities uh, are going to be completely different than, and than what they are right now. Um, who will be there? Verses 2 through 8. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, gals, just remember your wedding day. And it's the one day that, that, that you want to look 
you're most beautiful. You have all your attendants um, with you in their, um, their uh, bridal dresses. And that's how John is comparing this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Here, um, and I'll talk a little bit about it later when we get to uh, 22, we find who will be there? Well, God himself will be there amongst them. And, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and no more death nor sorrow nor crying nor shall there be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Now, it brings up the question about the tears. Why, why would tears need to be wiped away? I really don't know. I think regret might be one. I think wasted time might be another. Things that could have should have, but didn't. Uh, remember Paul's remorse in Romans 7? Oh, wretched man that I am. I know what's right. I don't do it. I know what's wrong, and that's what I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. I don't have any hope. But thanks be to God because of Jesus Christ. Another good place for an amen. I mean, what would we do? There's no other way, because that's who we are. But he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, no condemnation. And you, even though here it appears there's wiping away of tears, that sounded pretty good poetically, didn't it? <laughs> Nobody got it but me? <laughs> the, the reality that um, tears are going to be wiped away, but no more after this. And the former things have passed away. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying, No more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And yet they've been allegorized for the last 2,000 years, ever since Israel was driven out in 70 AD. The book of Revelation is where we are right now. Oh, it's really just a a battle in our conscience between light and darkness. And it it shouldn't be taken literally. Uh, Well, what I just read, write these words because they're faithful. And he said to me, it is done. That was also accomplished with it is finished on the cross. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give the foundations of the waters of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. How does a person overcome? There's only one way. <laughs> Paul made re- reference to it, even though he didn't get to verse 5, where the Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Philip said, just show us. We don't know the way. What are you talking about? I'm the way. And in that, you become an overcomer because Christ overcame. Did I personally overcome? No. But because I'm in Christ, I am an overcomer. So let me just stop and say the next time uh, the enemy's messing with your head and telling you what a jerk and a, and a, a 
rotten Christian you are and how dare you call yourself a Christian, put him in his place. He said, I know who I am. Paul knows who, who he was. But I know that I'm in Christ. And therefore, there is no condemnation. Take a hike. And he has to leave. And um, he will. We're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. He wants to steal your joy. And uh, he wants to heap condemnation upon you. But the Lord doesn't. You know, he does just the opposite. He brings you out of it. He says, I try you with you, I'm working it for good. You don't see it yet, but it's, it's coming. But the cowardly, verse eight, and unbelievable and the abominable and murderers and sexual immoral, sorcery, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. One of the promises to the seven churches, every church has a different promise given to them. I can't remember which church it was. But he says uh, to this church that they will not be a part of the second death. The second death is what? Being resurrected like you saw the bodies coming out of the sea. Standing before the thrones, the books being opened and everything they ever did is written down. And then they're cast into the lake of fire. This is a second death, but blessed is he who has part in the first resurrection. Well, what's that? Well, Mike's mother-in-law just died, being 100. Well, absent from the body, present with the Lord. What can you do with a 100-year-old body? I know you can't go downhill skin. <laughs> And the more, the more this becomes a reality, my friends, to you, the more we should be longing for it. And really mean the song when we sing it, this world is not my home, we're just, we're just passing through. My treasures, they're up there. And the desire should be a longing, just this longing in our heart, Lord, when can we go home? So we read that who else will, will be there um, and there will be those that will not make it, quite frankly. And um, they have not, for whatever reason, accepted Jesus Christ for the atonement for their sins. They're going to be in the lake of fire forever and ever. And I hope, I hope that sticks in your head, the visual part and the reality part of that. All right, in verses 9... Here we actually have the angel naming the new Jerusalem. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last um, plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. So as far as the angels is concerned, what they're about, the new Jerusalem they're going to see, the angel calls it the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Now go back to Ezekiel and remember talking about this. I'm gonna go and explain a little bit the colors of these stones 
And this one here is um, a jewel, a jasper, but it's a jasper that is uh, like crystal. Um, If you're taking notes, interesting verse from Malachi. It's Malachi 3, verses 17 and 18, if you're taking notes. And it says, the church will be the fairest jewel of all when he makes up his jewels. There's a verse in Malachi. It says, someday the Lord is going to make his jewels. He's referring to you and me. When he makes up his jewels, the church is going to be on display. This is the reason that the new Jerusalem will be the center of the new heavens and the new earth. I'm going to try to give you up, let's just read on for um, the dimensions and the description. We have the name here. It was like, and verse 12, and, and she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city laid out as a square and its length as great as its depth. And he measures the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs in length, breadth, and height are equal. Okay, this should blow your mind. So I thought I would um, try to, I actually went to my map in my office, and I Googled, how far is it from Vancouver to San Diego? And it's like 900 miles. I said, not good enough. So we did, I kept doing some more research. I had Mary do some research. And what I'm going to put up on the screen right now is the dimensions of 1,500 square miles as we place it over America. So this is what it would look like. As the United States, notice that it goes into Canada, all the way out to Arizona, to Florida. And what you're looking at is 1,500 square miles. That's laying flat. But it is also 1,500 miles actually um, tall. So we're going 1,500 miles up at the same time. Now, if this would be a strange object because it says clearly that it's four square. But whenever it's referred to, it's referred to as crystal clear as a diamond and the difficulty with this is and my personal conviction is that this crystal which would be diamond actually circles the square of the city and the the difficulty remains when we think like that I'll show you what I mean let's put it up on screen and I'll read something Um, The difficulty revolves when we think of a city as a cube within a crystal sphere. What we are given are the inside measurements. I think of it as a big plastic ball with a cube inside having all eight of its corners touching the sphere. 
As this involves mathematics, which I could not figure out, I asked both a mathematician and an engineer involved in a space program to determine uh, what the circum, uh, circumference of the sphere would be. They both came up with the same answer. To enclose a cube measuring 1,500 miles on each side, the circumference of the sphere would be 8,164 miles. The, di- the, the diameter of the moon is about 2,160 miles, and that of the New Jerusalem sphere is about 2,600 miles. Thus, the New Jerusalem will be somewhat larger than the moon and will be a sphere like other heavenly bodies. I personally believe that is the picture that is given to us here. Now, I agree with that. And some of you are also thinking, I don't agree with that. It says here is a square. And if you think that that, fine, you can be a square if you want to, and I'll just stick, I'll stick with the circle. But um, we're going to find out eventually. We read in verse 18, and the construction of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the measurement of the walls of the city would be roughly uh, 216 feet. But now remember, I think we're talking multidimensionalism here. And if it's our place that the Lord has prepared for us, the walls may only be 216 feet with the gates, so on and so forth. But imagine the space that every Christian that ever existed has. Everybody's probably got at least an acre, (laughs) if not a hundred acres. And um, um, your access to get there won't be by elevator or stairs or anything else. The ability to move from one place probably immediately, again, is past finding out. But imagine this place We're in John 3, I go to prepare a place specifically for you. And I think when we go to our place, you go, I like that. That reminds me of something I would do or pick. And the Lord knows us so well that I think whatever this place is, that is just yours, okay? It's not a bumbling city where everybody's bumping into each other like New York and you're living on skyscrapers that can only go so high. No, this, this is your eternal home. And so whatever the Lord has us doing, it says someday we'll judge angels and, and um, we could tie in the scripture, there's a new earth, but this is different. We'll probably have responsibilities there and we simply don't know. It, it says his ways are past finding out. And he's revealed to us what he wants to for right now. But right now, he's just telling us it's there. And let me just stop and say again, nothing is gonna stop these things from happening. I'm gonna go back to your lost friends going to hell. Nothing's gonna stop that from happening. I was, I was witnessing to a guy, a professional business person, and we, we got talking on, on the topic of, of some of these issues about... Um, it revolved around, um, as a believer, he had a hard time 
believing that Jesus would say to a man, um, let me go home and bury my father and then I'll come and follow you. And the Lord said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. He says, I, I, I can't imagine Jesus saying that. And I said, well, the first problem you have is you thought. <laughs> because it contradicts what God's word said. Let me tell you what it says in, in the context and the meaning of it. Let me go home. Let me stay at home take, and take care of my parents. And when they die, then I'll come and follow you. That's what the Lord is, is saying there. But he also said, don't think that I've come to bring peace at home. I haven't. I've come to bring a sword. You're going to have problems at home because you're a Christian. And here you got this person that understands the issues that we're talking about this morning and the consequences. And it's heartbreaking for the believer. But the unbeliever, according to John, the reason they don't become Christians is not that, it's not that they don't know. They said they don't want to. John 3 says they love the darkness more than the light. They don't come to the light because their deeds were evil. If they come to the light, they gotta turn from the darkness. Bottom line, they just don't want to. But I hope this scares the hell out of some people. And I hope the only thing you, you, you don't remember from, that you do remember from my Bible study this morning is that I said hell. <laughs> but it's a reality. And don't think it's not going to happen. All right? The stone, with, with, the, with those dimensions, um, the stone is transparent in verse 18. And gleaming, which suggests one of these stones, most likely the diamond. The diamond seems to fit the description better than any other stone known to man. The similarity of the Hebrew word to crystal in Ezekiel 1.22, we were back there earlier, to the Hebrew word ice helps to strengthen this view. The New Jerusalem is a diamond and a gold mounting. The city is the engagement ring of the bride. In fact, it is the wedding ring. It is the symbol of the betrothal and wedding of the church of Christ. So what we really have is this beautiful um, stone and and this beautiful ring. Now let's get into and spend just a little time on on the colors and different uh, commentaries. I'll make mention of of the research that was done. This this was not my research. I took this from um, one of my study books that talks in detail about the colors. So let's pick it up in verse uh, 19. The foundation of the wall of the city was adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. Now jasper here um, is a crystal clear. There's different types of, of jasper, but this one is crystal clear, uh, probably a diamond, uh, a reflector of light and color. Dr. Seiss, speaking on, on New Jerusalem, described it as clear and pure and bright as a transparent icicle in the sunshine. And we've all seen how clear they look and when the sun is uh, shining through it. Then the next one is 
the second one was a sapphire. Um, here, a sapphire, according to this commentator, I'll find his name here, Mafat is his name, um, said it's a color of blue. The stolen occurs in Exodus 24 as the foundation of God. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement work of a, a sapphire stone. We come to the next one, uh, Chalcedonia, Donian. And this um, particular one has a greenish haze to it. Um, this commentator's name is Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y, described it as a, a variety of an emerald um, that, that's gathered on mountains in Chalcedon, and that's where it gets its name from. Possibly a green, um, including with copper. The next one would be an emerald. This color would be green. Uh, this commentator's name is Robinson, describes it as a green stone. The sardonyx, its color is red. Commentator Robinson describes it as white with layers of red. The sardis stone is a fiery red. The crystallite is the color of golden yellow. This uh, commentator's uh, Moffat assigns it a golden hue. And Robinson says it's a golden color like our topaz. The barrel, that color is green. It's like the emerald. The topaz, also a greenish yellow. Uh, the crystal fraz, probably butchering the name on that one. It sort of is the color of a golden green. And um, the, the uh, janiths is the color of violet. The amethyst, of course, is purple. I actually have some amethysts mixed in with other stones at home and that's the color of it. The foundation of the New Jerusalem are constructed on a flashing brilliance of rich and costly gems. On the inside is Jesus and when he was there, he was the light of the world. There he will be the light of the universe. Verse 22 through 27. Let's go back to Revelation 21. But I saw no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun. So there's no more sun. There's no more moon. In it, for the glory of God illuminates it and the Lamb and its light. Now let me just stop and have you think about something here because most of you guys or gals have gone through this. When uh, guys are going out looking for that engagement ring or wedding ring, uh, when you go to the, to the jewelry store, what they do is they'll take it out and sometimes they'll ask you, would you like to see it under the light? Uh, and what they'll do to explode, uh, expose the different facets and how brilliant it is, they will take a light and they'll shine it down, and as a result, you see um, just what quality of a ring that you actually are buying. Here, let's turn it around. Here, the light does not come from the outside, but the very light of God comes and it goes out. 
Now, in your wildest dreams, could you imagine something, whether that's a diamond, and you have these different layers of transparent stones, the streets are made out of pure, transparent gold. So we have asphalt here, (laughs) they have gold there, that's transparent, why transparent? So that the light shines through it. And I just thought about that, when you you go and uh, uh, look at wedding rings or diamonds, that's what they do. We're going to give you a little eyeglass so you can take a really good look at it. But the light is, comes from the outside, but not in New Jerusalem. This wedding ring, the light goes out from it. And you just try to imagine that for a second. 1,500 square miles, length, depth, and height. And the beauty that this is going to be, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard. And again, trying to describe this and put it into a Bible study. All right, who's there? Um, Verses uh, 24, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. So there is the ability, without spacecrafts or planes or rockets, to move from the earth and their visitors, but not for you and me. It's home for you and me. A place, according to John chapter 14. And they shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates will not be closed at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles, causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is an altar call. It's a time for you to do a self-examination. Is your name in that book? Is your name in that book? I've said it before and I'll say it again. If I didn't believe my name is in that book, I would not cross that street outside because I might get hit by a car. And once to die, then what? Then the judgment. No such thing as reincarnation. No such thing as uh, good karma, bad karma. All have sinned. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. Good place for an amen. I think I'm a little better than Jim Rosero, but not by much, but just, just a little. I know I got more hair than he does. But we're all I, one in, in the eyes of the Lord because God is no respecter of persons. So don't get the idea because you're a Christian that we're any better than anybody else. The fact of the matter is we're aware just how rotten we really are. Paul said, and the older you get in the Lord, the more that becomes a reality because you understand the grace of God. And you know a whole lot better than doing what you might have done. Get mad at some guys because he cut you off. I was, where was I? I was was in Arizona. I was going to take my daily walk. There was a guy walking the street. He was just walking the street. I could see him coming down, and and, uh, he gave me a gesture. Uh, Except there was one finger that was missing when I I didn't do that. The guy flipped me off, and I'm right in the middle of nowhere. I go, what's that all about? (laughs) Now, I've been cut off on the road, and... um, I get upset, uh, but, I don't, but I'm not going to flip the guy off. But I sure get upset, and I get in the flesh. 
And sometimes it turns into road rage on that person's behalf. And, um, and uh, you want to let this guy know just exactly what you think about his driving and hoping there's a number on the back of his bus that says, if I'm not driving correctly, call this number. <laughs> so who's going to be there? Only those who are, have their names put in the book of life. My friends, I plead with you, just like Paul pleaded with, with his Jewish friends. Get rid of the pride. Get rid of anything that's holding you back from saying, Lord, here I am. Um, I'm yours. This stuff, if this stuff is real, what Dwight's talking about this morning, don't, don't mess around and, and don't think that it's not going to happen because it is going to happen. Now, the last four verses, five verses here, go into, um, he showed me a pure river of water. No oceans on the earth, but there is living water that proceeds from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the New Jerusalem. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. You know the last time you read about the tree of life? Genesis. It hasn't appeared. It's only mentioned in Genesis, and it's only mentioned in Revelation. And the Lord was so concerned that Adam and Eve would go back and eat of it, he put an angel there with swords going both ways so that they couldn't come back and eat of the tree of life. Well, here it is again. Where? In the New Jerusalem. Which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more cursed. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it and his servants will serve him. And my friends, I I can't tell you the first time I read this verse where it actually hit me what I was reading. And I kid a lot about my favorite verses stuff. But it's not only my favorite, but for me it's the most profound as a human being, as a created being. Verse four says, and they shall see his face. And that blows my mind. God is light, God is spirit, God is love. Love has a face. And to think that I'm going to be able to look, we were, it says we were created in the image of God. God has a face, and you're going to see it. And that is totally mind-boggling to me. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need of lamp of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever and ever. We do have two applications in light of everything that we've just studied. I was so shocked by how late I went over the first service that I only gave you one. I'm going to give you both of them this time. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 3. So find both of those. 2 Peter chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, picking it up in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
The heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, here's our application. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of our God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements with melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Therefore, again, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot or blameless. The last one, Colossians chapter three, tells us, picking it up at verse one, if you were raised with Christ, that means if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then it talks about um, putting on on the new man, verses 12 through 16. Therefore, another therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now I can say amen, and I can say you can stand, and we'll pray, and we'll sing in our hearts to the Lord afterwards. Lord, thank you for the glorious hope as you spent this one-on-one time with the disciples, you told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And if I go, and he did, he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Lord, thank you for this glorious promise. Thank you that we're just passing through Remind us often, Lord, we are pilgrims and strangers and to touch this world ever so lightly. And help us, Lord, be in that place, uh, seeing the lateness of the hour, um, more of a burden for the lost and praying for more opportunities to share with lost loved ones. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And Colossians chapter three. 
In 2 Peter chapter three, picking it up in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, here's our application. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of our God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements with melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Therefore, again, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot or blameless. The last one, Colossians chapter three, tells us, picking it up at verse one, if you were raised with Christ, that means if you've accepted Jesus as your savior, Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then it talks about um, putting on on the new man, verses 12 through 16. Therefore, another therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you, you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now I can say amen. And I can say you can stand and we'll pray and we'll sing in our hearts to the Lord afterwards. Lord, thank you for the glorious hope as you spent this one-on-one time with the disciples. You told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And if I go, and he did. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Lord, thank you for this glorious promise. Thank you that we're just passing through. Remind us often, Lord, we are pilgrims and strangers and to touch this world ever so lightly. And help us, Lord, be in that place, uh, seeing the lateness of the hour Um, more of a burden for the lost and praying for more opportunities to share with lost loved ones. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.